Okay, fun's over. Sit down. Just kidding. Hey, if you're watching us online this morning, whether it's Facebook Live, our website, um, or in our overflow room in, in Oakwood Chapel, we're so glad. Thank you for um, being gracious this morning and being willing to worship in another room. Thank you for your patience. Um, we just have a good problem of having a lot of people that want to worship here. So, uh, And if you're here live this morning with us, uh, thanks for being here. Um, let, let's uh, do, do this. Take out your Bible, if you have a Bible, and turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there might be one in the seat back pocket in front of you, or if you're up front under the seat, there could be a Bible. So, love for you to follow me. We're going to read a lengthy section of Scripture in Galatians chapter 2. I'd love for you to follow along with me, if you would. And as you're turning there, let's pray. Lord, we do declare this morning that you reign above it all. You, you reign above our pains and our problems. You reign above the breakdowns of relationships in life. You reign above our national crises that we face on several fronts. You, you reign above poverty. You reign above sickness. You reign above depression and fear. And we thank you, Lord. We need that this morning, Lord, in a, in a world that's uh, continually uh, and, and darker in a greater way. We, we pray uh, that your hope would break into our lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll be in Galatians chapter 2 in just a second. It seems like there's a scoreboard for just about everything in life to measure stuff. Like there's an educational scoreboard. An educational scoreboard is like report cards, test scores. There's a, there's a health or a, a medical scoreboard, x-rays, um, you know, blood analysis, charts. Um, there's uh, sports uh, scoreboards, there's, there's an analytic now and a statistic for everything you can imagine in sports. And so th those measure certain things about that particular sport or whatever. It's my understanding that McDonald's actually now has a scoreboard to measure the age of its customers. I didn't know that before, but, but they do. So when I, when I moved here in uh, 2011, I was 50 years old, 5'0". And um, I, I lived on the west side then, and I would drive to work every morning and stop at the McDonald's on the west side. And I would drive through just about every morning. I'd drink decaf coffee, so I'd get a coffee, and the coffee was 99 cents. And so every day I'd drive through, I'd order a coffee, and I'd get to the counter, and she'd say, that's $1.07. And I'd, sometimes I'd exact change. I'd give her $1.07 or whatever. And uh, one day I got to the McDonald's, and it was, the line was way too long uh, to try to do this. So I went into the restaurant. I just ordered at the counter, and, and I said to the young girl, I'd like a, a coffee. And uh, she gave me the coffee. She said, that'll be 53 cents. And I said, 53 cents, what, what, did you change your price? No, that, that's our, our senior discount. <laughs> and I said, this is a true story. I said, oh, so, and I was 51. I said, oh, so even though I'm not that age, you're still giving me the discount. And she said, yeah, our manager said anyone that looks old. <laughs> no, true, true story. We're, we're supposed to give that. So they have a scoreboard to measure the age of their cost. If you look old, you get the 53 cent coffee, like, like I did. Um, some people have a spiritual scoreboard uh, that measures uh, their relationship with God, how they're doing with God. Um, it's based on performance. It's based on how well they're, they're doing what the Bible says we're supposed to do. 
Let me show you what I mean. Take out your bulletin and open it up to, to the note section. And on there, I gave you a scoreboard for being righteous, a scoreboard for being righteous before God. Now, this isn't an, it's not an exhaustive scoreboard, but it's a scoreboard that, that we might say, if I do these things, then I'm, I'm right with God for the most part. Now, I gave you, I gave you seven things there. Um, church attendance, you know, Bible says we're supposed to gather with the believers together, reading the Bible, prayer, serving in church, serving the body of Christ, being, you know, giving your money to the Lord's work, being generous with your money, being kind to people, sharing your faith in Christ. Those are all things that the Bible would expect us to do. And then after that, I gave you three knots. Uh, you know, I, I'm not to use profanity. I'm, I'm not to cheat. I'm, I'm not to steal. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill in those three things with things you can think. Maybe they're things that, that you struggle with in your life. If I don't do this, then I'm, I'm pleasing to God. I'm acceptable to God. Okay? So I want you to fill those three things in. Take a minute. You fill in the knots. I've given you seven to-dos. You give me three not-to-dos. Not use profanity, not watch pornography, not, you know, disobey my parents, not whatever, whatever. This is, this is your scoreboard for being righteous. All right, you got those three filled in? For most of you, it shouldn't take that much time because you, you do all the things you're not supposed to do anyways, right? Okay, now here's what I want you to do. Go through that list of 10, and in the last two days, Check as many as you've done well with. I've given you one of them going to church, okay? So you get one of them. Now go through that list and check the ones in the last couple of days. You've done pretty well. All right, how you doing on that? You got it done? Okay, if you, if you have less than two check, boxes checked, stand up. We need to pray for you this morning. I'm kidding. All right, how'd you do? Did you have a lot of boxes checked? Are you feeling good about yourself right now, huh? How are you feeling about your relationship with God? Look at me. Look at me. Look how well I'm doing. Or do you not have very many boxes checked? And you're feeling like maybe God doesn't accept me. See, when you keep a scoreboard like that, it's called legalism. Legalism. Legalism is the idea that, that my acceptance with God or my righteousness is based on my performance, how well I'm doing with the things that the Bible says I'm supposed to do. Legalism is it's the opposite of grace. We're going to talk a little bit about legalism this morning in, in Galatians chapter chapter two. Here's what I want you to remember this morning. God is not as concerned with what I do as with who I become. God is not as concerned with what I do as with who I become because you can change your behavior and not change your heart. You can change your actions and still be the same cantankerous, nasty, rebellious person that you are without any change. You, you remember the story of Johnny in kin kindergarten, don't you? Johnny, the little, little guy in kindergarten, he, he, uh, he, he couldn't sit still. 
He was always getting up out of his seat. The teacher would say, tell everybody, sit down and take out your workbook or whatever. And he'd, he'd stand up and he'd go and he'd talk to the kids or he'd go and look at the fish in the fishbowl. Well, he couldn't sit down. The teacher kept saying, Johnny, sit down. Johnny, sit down. Johnny, sit down. And Johnny didn't get it. So she, she put a chair in the corner and faced it toward the wall. And she said, Johnny, you're going to sit there because I'm going to teach you the importance of sitting down. So Johnny went over in the corner and he, he looked at the wall and sat down. And a couple of minutes later, he turned around and he said, teacher, on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> you can make me sit down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You can change everything about your behavior and not have your heart changed. And God is more concerned with you becoming like Jesus Christ than the things that you do. He's more concerned with transformation of your inner man than he is with the actions on the outside because if your heart changes, guess what else will change? Your actions will change. But your actions could change without your heart being changed. So, so Galatians chapter two, let me give you a little, a little background to the text we're gonna be reading this morning. In Acts chapter eight, a persecution uh, of Christians, among Christians, broke out in Jerusalem, very severe. Christians were being tortured and killed. Many of those, those Christians left Jerusalem. They went to regions like Judea, Samaria. Some stayed in Jerusalem. Some went as far north as a city called Antioch. Now, what happened with those, those disciples that went to Antioch is they started preaching the, the, the message of salvation through Christ, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. And the Gentiles began to hear this message that they could, they could be right with God. They, they could be saved from their sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And many Gentiles, non-Jews, got saved. The, the, the leaders in the church in Jerusalem heard about what was happening in Antioch, and they wanted to establish a church. So they sent Barnabas, who was a really strong disciple of Jesus, they sent him up to Antioch to start a church with them. Well, Barnabas knew, do, knew that he couldn't do it alone, so he remembered that Saul, the one that had used to persecute the church, had become a Christian, and he lived in Tarsus, which wasn't that far from Antioch. So Barnabas went to, to Tarsus and got Saul, who became Paul, and he brought Paul back to Antioch, and the two of them together got this church going. Well, at some, time, at some point, Paul and Barnabas and a guy named Titus went down to Jerusalem because they wanted to tell the Jewish Christians and the leaders at the church in Jerusalem what God was doing with the Gentiles. And so they went down there and Paul wanted to share with those Jewish leaders the message that God had given him to preach, which was a message of salvation by faith alone and not keeping the Jewish law. So the three of them went down and they met with the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders accepted uh, what Paul said. They said, yeah, that, that message is right on. Go ahead and keep, keep preaching that. In fact, they said that, you know, P Paul, you've been given a, a ministry to the, to the Gentiles, just like Peter's been given a ministry to the Jews. Well, they went, they went back to Antioch, and, and a little while later, they, they went out on mission trips. And they went into the region of Asia Minor. They, they went into the, the, the Galatian region, and they started preaching the gospel again to Gentiles. And Gentiles were getting saved. And they started establishing churches in the region of Galatia. 
Well, they go back to Antioch, and and, uh, these Jewish Christians moved into those churches and started teaching the newly saved Gentile Christians that if they really wanted to be a Christian, they not only needed to have faith in Christ, but they also needed to keep the Jewish law, circumcision, dietary laws, and all of those other things. They, They imposed the law on them. And so Galatians chapter 2 is a letter to those churches that Paul wrote. And he's writing to those churches. And in chapter 2, he's telling them about what happened when he and Barnabas and Titus were down in Jerusalem talking to the elders in that church. So we'll pick it up in Galatians chapter 2 this morning, uh, beginning in verse 1. Galatians 2.1. Paul says, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along also. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church, uh, including Peter, James, and John. And I shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts in preaching had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. In other words, Paul was running this message by the church leaders to make sure it was, it was good. Verse three, they supported me and they, they didn't even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised even though he was a Gentile. In other words, they, they recognized the message of salvation by faith alone. They didn't make Titus get circumcised, which would have been putting Titus under the Old Testament law. Verse four, even that question of circumcision came up only because some so-called believers there, and they really weren't Christians, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations or the law. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. In verses 6 through 10, Paul does what I already shared with you. Uh, they, they affirmed his message, his gospel, and said, you know, Paul, we, we uh, release you to preach to the Gentiles just like Peter's been released to preach to the Jews. Verse 11, but when Peter came up to Antioch to the church there where we were, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, other Jews, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Listen, even Barnabas was led astray. That's a fascinating verse. Barnabas, who had been with Paul and gone to Jerusalem and had been around this message of, of salvation by, by grace and faith, he slipped into legalism. When I saw verse 14 says that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of everyone else, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and you're living like a Gentile, in other words, you're living by faith in Christ, not the Jewish law, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? He says to Peter, you and I are Jews by birth, not, quote, sinners or unclean like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus 
so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. He says it twice there. Then he says it a third time, just to make sure everybody understands. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, my version says be right with God. That's, that's the word justification. We're going to talk about that in just a second. To be justified means to be made right or in a right relationship with God. Verse 17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in, in Jesus Christ, and then we're found guilty by the Jews because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ led us into sin? In other words, is abandoning the law sin? And Paul says, absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. Let me just pause there and say, do you know what the purpose of the law was? The expectation of God was not that sinful humanity would be able to keep the law. God knew that we, we would not be able to perfectly keep the law. The purpose of the law was to reveal that we're sinners. In other words, when the, when the, the, the Bible says don't lust, and, and we in our sinfulness lust, it shows that we, we're not able to keep the law. The, the law was simply to tell us you're a sinner and you need salvation, but the law could never provide salvation. That's why Jesus came, to die on the cross to provide salvation for humanity. Paul says, I, I died to the law, and I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, not my own performance. I don't trust my ability to keep the law. Jesus kept the law perfectly, and my trust and faith is in him and his ability to fulfill the law. And then he says in verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. That's one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. Let me read it again. If keeping the law could make us right with God, or if keeping the law could justify us before God, then Christ died needlessly. The death of Christ was necessary because the law couldn't save us. It was necessary because we couldn't fulfill the law. That's why Jesus came to the earth. Legalism confuses uh, the concept of being right with God, righteous, or justified. Legalism is the opposite of grace. So I wanna, I wanna define for you the word justification. Justification means a number of things in the New Testament, and we can kind of group all of those together. Justification means to be declared by God righteous or without sin. It's as though God, who is the judge of the universe, based on you putting your trust in Christ for salvation, not depending on your own human effort and your own works, on the basis of that, God declares you not guilty. He declares you innocent. He declares you free. Uh, justification is a declaration that God makes in your life that because of Christ and your faith in him, you're not guilty. You're, you're sinless before me. It means to be accepted by God and adopted into his family. You, you are now a son or a daughter of God, welcomed into his family on the basis of being justified by faith. It's to be in a right relationship with God. Before, you didn't have a relationship with God because your sin separated you. But with your sin removed through the blood of Christ and the, the cross, you're now brought into a right relationship with God. Justification means to be forgiven. 
It means to be saved from the penalty of sin. It means to receive eternal life. It means to enter God's kingdom. It means to be holy and blameless before God. All of those things are wrapped up in the concept, the theological concept of justification. Now, legalism and grace are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I want to I tell you what, what legalism teaches about justification and what grace teaches about justification. So, so look up here. Legalism teaches that justification requires both faith in Jesus and obedience to the Jewish law or the commands of God. So in other words, yes, I have to believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, I have to believe that he's the son of God, but I also have to uphold God's expectations. If I'm going to be justified and right with God, then I have to do what I have to do. Well, grace teaches that justification is a gift. It's given by grace, not works, through faith in Jesus alone. So it's, it's faith that we receive justification, all of those things we just read, right? Standing with God, mercy, forgiveness, blamelessness, holiness, all of those things we receive, not by keeping the law, but by, by simply receiving his grace by putting our faith in Christ alone. Legalism teaches that righteousness before God is maintained. In other words, after I become a Christian, I stay a Christian, I continue to be a Christian by keeping the teachings of Christ and the Jewish law. In other words, okay, I'm in now, but now I have to attain to the standard in order to stay there. In order to stay justified, I have to fulfill the obligations of Scripture. Grace teaches that righteousness is maintained by simply confessing the constant need of grace. I, I'm never gonna be without the need of grace. I'm always gonna fall short, I'm always gonna sin. That, that's not an excuse to sin, it's a reality. I, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to sin and fall short of God's standard. So to maintain my justification is simply an acknowledgement that God, I need your grace. I'm, I'm never gonna stop needing your grace. Legalism teaches that we grow spiritually. Spiritual growth comes as a result of keeping God's law. Do you want to grow in God? You got you to do what God says to do. That's how you grow. It's your actions that cause growth. Grace teaches that spiritual growth comes as a result of constant surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's this relationship with the Holy Spirit, following the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life that changes my life, that brings transformation and brings spiritual growth, not my outward attempts to, to obey God's commands. Number four, the problem with legalism is we never find acceptance with God. We're always searching for it, but we never get there because we can't perfectly keep the checklist. We get six out of 10, we get seven out of 10, eight out of 10, four out of 10, but we never are perfect in keeping it, so we never are really right with God according to the law. Grace, the blessing of grace is we never lose acceptance with God because we didn't earn it in the first place and we don't keep it by doing good works. It's simply grace on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. So this series is called Free. We're talking about how to stay free from certain things. So today we're gonna to talk about how do we stay free from legalism. How do we avoid legalism in our life? I wanna just share four quick things with you. We'll, we'll walk through these as quickly as we can. The first is this. You need to find a grace-filled crew. You need to find a grace-filled crew. You can't do this on your own. You can't live in the realm of grace trying to do it by yourself. You need, you need a group of people. You need a circle of friends. You, you, need, 
Some people in your life that understand grace and choose grace over legalism in their life. Because here's the truth. You become like the people you hang around. If you hang around grace-filled people, if you, if you hang around people that understand the grace of God, then you'll continue to stand in that grace. If you hang around people that are performance-driven, if you hang around people that are legalistic, you will become legalistic. Let's look at the scripture, verses um, four and five. Paul says, even that question about circumcision came up only because some, some, some so-called believers, they really weren't Christians, false ones, were secretly brought in. Now, all I want you to read in this verse is the pronouns that Paul uses as he describes himself and his commitment to grace, okay? They sneaked in to spy on who? Say it again. To spy on us and, and take away the freedom that what? We have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave who? And force who? Us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Paul surrounded himself with people that were grace-filled. He said, we're fighting this fight against legalism, and I've got a crew, I've got some people, I've got some folks that understand it and are walking with me and helping me not slip back into legalism because it's really easy to do. So who in your life is connected with you that's keeping you grounded in grace? So my daughter Shannon and I, she lives in St. Louis, she's my oldest child, uh, we're training to run a half marathon October 24th. It's going to be in San Diego. She lives in St. Louis, I live here in Sioux Falls, we're training separately. There she is. Um, and, and so what we do is we have a running app and, and every time we run, we screenshot the app and we send each other the results, how far we ran, what our splits were, um, what, what our, 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 our pace per mile was, and we let each other know how we're doing. And so last week, she wanted to run nine miles. I don't think she had run that far before, maybe she had once. And so she, she finished it and she sent me the text and all the information and, and, and then she said, she said, Dad, it was horrible. She said, I ran five and a half miles and I hit the wall. She said, I, I, I walked and I, and I ran and I cried and I jogged and I just tried to get through the last three and a half miles. It was, it was so bad. I'm the worst runner ever. In fact, I think I'm going to quit. You should probably get a new partner for that race. It's just ugly and bad. And so I'm, I'm part of Shannon's crew and I'm going to help Shannon. And so I said to her, okay, okay, listen, let's look at the first five and a half miles. I said, girl, you had a great time. You ran a great pace. That was awesome. It was hot. You broke down a little bit. You weren't, you weren't quite ready to do that. And so there's, I'm not ignoring the fact that it wasn't your best run. But she was defining herself as a runner based on one workout. I said, Chan, you can't define yourself by one bad run. Look how far you've come. Three months ago, you couldn't even run three miles. Now you're running nine. Yeah, at a girl, way to go, right? Good job. You're going to get there. You can do this. You look at the positive. You say, yeah, it wasn't your best run. That's grace. Grace looks at the situation and says, yeah, yeah, you fell short of some expectations. But let's look at the progress you've made. Let's look at how well you're doing. Let, let's, let's take the lessons we can learn from this, even the, 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 the painful lessons, and let's get better as we move forward. I guarantee you, your next nine-mile run is going to be better. That's grace. Come on, girl, you can do this. 
You need to surround yourself with, with a posse that understands grace. Legalism would have responded like this. You do suck. Like, that's awful. I'm getting a new partner. Like, you need to just stop. You're a disgrace to the running world. You're a disgrace to the Wheeler family. That's legalism. And some of us hang around legalistic people. Don't, don't lift us up with grace, but they put us down with law and expectations. And some of you live with a constant sense of failure before God spiritually, because your understanding of, of righteousness and acceptance with God is your performance. And some days you try to run nine miles and you run five and a half and the rest is junk and you feel horrible. And you let that define you instead of understanding that grace includes you in the favor of God. Even when you have a bad day, even when you fall short, even when you don't measure up to your expectations or other people's expectations for your life, there's grace. Some of you just need to breathe in grace this morning, amen? And stop walking in shame and humiliation and failure. All right, second thing we need to do. Make grace the priority. Make grace the priority. Now this is an interesting because, because in this story, Paul made grace the priority, but Peter didn't. Paul made grace the priority. And if anybody should have understood grace, it's Peter. Because God had given Peter a vision of grace. In, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter, Peter had this vision from God of, of a sheet being lowered from heaven. And on that sheet were all kinds of animals and crawly, creepy things that by Jewish law were unclean and the Jews couldn't eat them. They were unkosher. And, and, and as that sheet came down, the, the voice said to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Lord, I've never eaten anything outside the dietary restrictions of the law. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And after the vision, after the sheet was lowered three times, God said to Peter, what, what I say is clean, don't call unclean. The very moment that that vision finished, uh, a man named Cornelius had sent men to Peter's house to come to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, to preach the gospel. And Peter went to Cornelius' house as those men came to his door. And he went in, and they were all Gentiles in the room. And Peter preached the message of, of salvation in Christ. And they all got saved. And they all got filled with the Spirit. And they all spoke in tongues, which was a manifestation in the early church so that they would know that this was genuine, this was real. They actually had received the Holy Spirit. And Peter saw with his own eyes that the Gentiles could receive the same Holy Spirit that the Jews had received. If anybody understood grace, it was Peter. And yet look at our verses this morning. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. If anybody shouldn't have slipped into that, it's Peter. I, I took two things away from those verses. Number one, man, we, we think it's, it's hard as Christians to fall into legalism. It is so easy. It's so, it's so easy to create a scoreboard in your life again and, and live by this performance meter before God. And the second thing is, it doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are you can slip into legalism. I mean, Peter and Barnabas, leaders in the early church in that moment said, we're, we're gonna side on, on the side of the law, not, not grace. 
Do you know what happens when we choose legalism over grace? We cheapen the cross. We say, we say the cross isn't sufficient. Yeah, the cross was good, but I have to do more to make up for what the cross lacked. Here's what Paul says. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. What an insult to Jesus to say, yeah, I, I know you died on the cross, and, and I know that, that was for my salvation, but, but, but it didn't quite do enough. Your suffering wasn't enough. I have to take it from here, and I have to perform more good deeds in order to make up for what you didn't do. What an insult to Jesus. It cheapens the cross. It drains the cross of its power. The power of the cross is to save sinners. The power of the cross is to save those that can't save themselves. And when you, do, when you perform and try to please God with your works, you're saying that the cross wasn't enough for my life. Paul also says in, in verse 16 that the law can't save you. Look, here's what he says. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God, justified because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For one will never, ever be made right with God by obeying the law. The, the law can't save you. Good works can't save you. All the law does is tell you you need salvation. You're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. That's all it does. And so, so friends, I'm like the worst at this. I'm like, I'm like the scoreboard guy. I'm, I, I, I'm driven by performance. I'm, I'm driven by results. I'm, I'm a pretty driven person. Any driven people here? We, we struggle with this. And I have to get a hold of grace on a regular basis and, and say my, my acceptance with God spiritually is not, is not based on whether I got four boxes checked or eight boxes checked or 10 boxes checked. It's always based on grace. I have to choose. Grace has to be the priority in my life. Number three, lose your scoreboard. Lose your scoreboard. Some of you need to lose the scoreboard. Let's go to the text. Paul says, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. Paul's saying, I came to Christ by grace. If I go back and rebuild this, this scoreboard of having to obey the law, I, I'm a sinner. When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law and I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I could just live for God, so I could be free from legalism and just live for Christ. Do you know what he says in that verse? Legalism is a sin. If you create a scoreboard in your life for how you're doing with God, if you're justified because of your works, if you're accepted by God because of what you do, you're a sinner. That's sin. If you rebuild that system of law instead of living by grace, Paul says, I'm, I'm a sinner. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to live up to it so that I could just live for God. Now, my grandson, Tyler, is now 12 years old. He's the most competitive person I've ever met in my life. I don't know where in the bloodline he got that from. I, I, I really don't. That's him right now. We, we were down there a little while ago. He loves basketball. Super competitive. Everything has to be a competition. 
We eat dinner and he creates a competition at the dinner table. And he always wants to keep score. There always has to be winners and losers. No matter what we're doing, he wears us out with constant games. Papa, let's, let's play catch. Let's throw it 50 times and we'll keep count. And if I get 46, then this. Like everything is a, is a contest. And so here's a picture of us. He was three years old. And he said, we're going to keep score. And so it's Tyler 100, Papa 94, right? We, we kept score. And, and the problem with Tyler always wanting to keep score is he gets crushed when he loses. He feels like such a failure because his identity is wrapped up in what he does. And when he loses, it's, it's, it's horrible. And so I tell Tyler, Tyler, we, we don't need to keep score. How about if we just play and, and you get better? How about if we, there's no winner and there's no loser, but, but we, just, we just work on this so that you can improve your game. Because as I said before, God is less concerned with what you do and more concerned with who you become. Some of us need to, to let go of that, that scoreboard, thinking that somehow that scoreboard is gonna make us better before God. Are you still keeping score in your life? T Tyler has to understand that the, the goal isn't, isn't beating Papa. The goal is getting better. And you have to understand that the goal is not keeping a spiritual checklist. The goal is becoming like Jesus Christ. So that leads us to number four, follow the Holy Spirit. Just follow the Holy Spirit. In, in verse 20, Paul says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's as though Paul says, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even consider myself. It's Jesus by the Holy Spirit that's living his life through me. The, the life I live in this earthly body, I live by trusting in the Son of God, trusting in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. In chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says this of Galatians. How foolish can you be? How stupid are you? After starting your new lives as Christians in the Holy Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect? That just means mature by your own human effort. You can't grow in Christ by your human effort. We grow because there's an inward work of grace through the Holy Spirit. We'll get to this in chapter five when we get there, but it's the Holy Spirit that changes us. You, you've read these verses before, verses 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces. The Holy Spirit produces. Who produces? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such. What helps you to be faithfulness? Good works? No. The Holy Spirit. What helps you to be kind and loving and joyful? Do you produce that on your own? No. It's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I'm going to be honest with you. Re reading the Bible doesn't change you. The Holy Spirit changes you. You can read the Bible and not be changed. You can read the Bible. You can read four chapters in Galatians tonight and check it off the list and be the same person you were. You can be changed, though, if you, if you open up the Bible and you say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Help me to understand this. Speak to me through this passage. And, and as you go through and you read it, you let the Holy Spirit talk to you. And you say, Holy Spirit, convict me of sin. Sh show me where I'm falling short. Ho Holy Spirit. And, and then you go, oh, yeah, I, I, I was mean to that person. Lord, forgive me for that. 
Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, make me better. Holy Spirit, let me fulfill what this text is. And when you interact with the Holy Spirit, you get changed. Reading Scripture doesn't change you. It's, it's the inward work of grace by the Holy Spirit that changes you. Prayer doesn't change you. Speaking words to God doesn't change you. You know how I know that? Because Jesus gave us this wonderful prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. And, and I can say, I, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be on the earth as in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. I could say that 30 times a day. It wouldn't change my heart. That's prayer, isn't it? You can pray and never be changed. You can speak words. Now, if you say, Lord, from, from authenticity, Holy Spirit, I need help in this area. Holy Spirit, I need guidance. Holy Spirit, I need to know the Father's love today. Holy Spirit, convict me. Holy Spirit, forgive me. Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, guide my prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, lead me in prayer this morning. And when you, when you invite the Holy Spirit into the place of prayer, your heart gets changed. He begins to lead you and guide you. So do we need to do good works? Yes, we need to read the Bible. We need to go to church. But it's not going to church that changes you. It's as you're sitting here, allowing the Holy Spirit to talk to you and work in your life. It's an inward work of grace. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning, we, we don't want to cheapen the cross. We don't want to drain the cross of its power. The cross forces us to look at our lives and realize we're in desperate need of grace. Lord, help us to walk in that grace. Help us to, to surround ourselves with people that don't live their spiritual lives by performance, but they live it by grace. Help us, Lord, this week to make grace the priority. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to lose the scoreboard so that we can simply become more like Jesus as we follow the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you do that deep inner work of transformation in our lives? As we do spiritual things, would you work in us? Lord, would you keep us from sliding into the trap of legalism? Would you keep us from estimating our value in your sight by what we do? And simply on the basis of the grace that was demonstrated through your love at the cross. Amen. As you leave this morning, a couple of quick reminders. If you have a prayer request, you can drop that off in the box. Second, this is the weekend that we're receiving a benevolent offering. We have, we'll have some ushers at the door. This money goes to families in our church and outside of our church that could use a little bit of financial help, uh, anything you could contribute toward that. And finally, if you need prayer this morning for anything, we're going to have some folks up here that would love to take a minute, pray with you about your needs today. God bless you. Have a grace-filled week.